Welcome. It's the Daily Objective from the news capital of the world, Chicago, Illinois. I'm Jonathan Honig from CapitalistPig.com. And we've got a rouster, as the old song goes, the boys are back in town. And indeed they are. We've got a star-studded panel for you today to talk about uh, something certainly uh, uh, inspired by objectivism, related to objectivism, and a little bit of history about objectivism. But before we get to it, let's introduce our, our all-star panel today, Mark Pellegrino, activist, yeah. actor, celebrity, uh, Nikos Sopirakopoulos, uh, you know, a, a teacher, a philosopher, a, works at the Ayn Rand Institute, and Lee, Lee Pearson, a longtime student of Ayn Rand's, participant in the movement, and you know him from his own show here on the, on the Ayn Rand Center UK channel as well, very knowledgeable about objectivism, so we're delighted to have all you here as well. We were scheduled to have some female participants as well, but we thought, hey, since we're going to be objectifying women, we might as well just keep it on men. Not true. In fact, you might be joined by a guest at some point, but let's get started uh, today, if you gentlemen are ready. Yeah. All yeah. right, well, let's get to it. Um, I'm going to talk about beauty, which is something nice, considering all we've been talking about is politics in recent years, particularly human beauty. And and, and gents, jump in at any point here, too. I want to uh, keep this in open forum. And of course, our super chatters as well. Thank you, Regina. She's been a member. She's joining us. So don't be a stranger on Super Chat as well. Rand had something in particular to say about beauty, and I'll quote this. Beauty is a sense of harmony, whether it's an image, a human face, a body, or a sunset. Take the object which you call beautiful as a unit and ask yourself, what parts make it, may, is it made up of? What are its constituent elements? And are they all harmonious? If they are, the result is beautiful. If there are contradictions and clashes, the result is marred or positively ugly. And one of the gentlemen that she has had remarked about as I think being beautiful, this is my interpretation of it, be, finding attractive was American actor, Robert Stack. And here he is from The Untouchables, which was one of Miss Rand's favorite shows. Mark, I see you nodding. You're, you're familiar with him <laughs> as well, obviously very well. Yeah. But take, yeah. a, take a look at them. Hi, Allie. Allie's saying hello from I-95 in Florida, another member. Great time to become a member. So guys, let's take a look at Robert Stack. Uh, knowing what we know a bit about Miss Rand and objectivism and that definition of beauty. And um, I don't know, maybe go around the table and uh, I'll turn off, the, keep it on the image for a moment. But, you know, Mark, maybe you can start us off. Tell us maybe what you know about the story, what you think about Robert Stack, his, his looks. <laughs> Would you find him as um, attractive yeah, as Miss Rand did? <clears throat> Um, I don't know if I find him as attractive, but I could I could see uh, what she's shooting for here. Um, he's he's got a very uh, symmetrical face. Is he's, he's you know got confidence. He exudes authority um, and presence, and played those characters right. Elliot Ness from The Untouchables is a is a, a pretty uh, interesting uh, heroic historical character. And, uh, and, and he projects, he projects, I think all of all very masculine values that I think uh, are a little politically incorrect today, but nonetheless, uh, pretty great guides for, for, for men in some respects to look to. <clears throat> Lee, jump in here. I mean, you probably know okay. a little bit more about Robert Stack's career. I can say something, although that was, that was so good. I, I don't know how much I can add to it, but I'll, I'll say this much. There is a certain, just look at the expression, his expression in all of these uh, pictures. He shows something that you see in, I think, all of the uh, people that Ayn Rand, uh, the actors and others that Ayn Rand admires for their beauty. I, and of course, we're talking about beauty here. It's, it's physical beauty, but at the same time, it is the, the, in, in, the mental or psychological or mental beauty uh, that is shown in the physical and you can see here a quality uh let me call it unflappable intelligence that you'll see in all of them um as we go through them all you can see that and and he you know focused mind uh you know we're not looking at a drunk any drunks here and you can see all of that in their physiognomy physiognomy is that how you pronounce that word physiognomy yes you can see all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, and we'll see it as we go along. Take it. Yeah, I mean, the, Nikos, jump in. Uh, you know, you might. Uh, not, one, Nikos, only one comment. This guy oozes, I take myself seriously. That's what he's telling us. And I think this is the one thing which is missing 
today uh, in the world. Actually, in the last five, six months, I had to travel quite often with airplane. And I'm quite amused how this idea that when people used to travel, they would present themselves at the best is now completely gone away for the benefit of comfort. Now, comfort doesn't have to go against looking good. So it's not that people just feel comfortable. It's like, I don't care how I look. This guy tells me the exact opposite. I care how I look and not for others, mostly for myself. What I have inside is projected to the world. So I really like, I really like what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I, I'll jump in quickly and say, I mean, I agree with the entire panel. Interestingly, too, I mean, these are still shots from the Untouchables, but all of them are kind of a juxtaposition of a weapon. I mean, all of them have a weapon, and he is in control of that weapon at every moment. It is not recklessly pointed. His gaze, it's either, you know, holstered or, you know, his gaze really is almost the weapon that he has more than anything else. So very penetrating, very in control, very symmetrical. And to your point, Nico's very Natalie dressed. I mean, he's a hero and he's so super stylish at the same time. So, um, you know, this isn't like an Edward Furlong with his hair over his head. Oh, you know, just coming up out of the, you know, this is a, a, a man who's very much in control of the situation and control of force and using it uh, with justice. I think we could probably interpret <clears throat> Um, all right, well, let's, let's move on. And first of all, we need your super chats. Um, you know, we're trying to dress as Natalie as, uh, Natalie as Robert Stack. No, it's not for that, but it's to keep the Ayn Rand Center UK going and keep this kind of program going, keep uh, intellectuals like Nikos and stars like Mark and, and so many others. So take this opportunity to throw us five pounds, 10 pounds, uh, be part of the community and do it now. Rand said that the simplest example of beauty is human face. And she says, well, if the face is lopsided with an indefinite jawline, small eyes, you would say it's not a beautiful face. But if the features, I'm paraphrasing now, obviously, are harmoniously integrated, if they all fit your view of the importance of the, all these features on a mean face, then the face is beautiful. So let's do another example. I knew Raymond Burr like this. Mark, you probably do too. But you know, there was an old Raymond Burr. This was the 80s Raymond Burr. This was the Raymond Burr that Miss Rand thought was beautiful. So um, that's actually the, that's actually the Raymond Burr I'm more um, acquainted with. Are you Perry, okay, Ma right, Perry Mason over Ironstone. Right, yes. Well, start us off. I mean, what what do you see when you see this Raymond Burr that you can maybe think about what Miss Rand might have found attractive, or what do you? What's your take? Well, I, I mean, uh, of course, all the physical characteristics that she she. Um, uh, equates with uh, with beauty are there, but <clears throat> I think Perry Mason's character in particular represents that focused intelligence and that unstoppable will uh, and that striving for justice that I think are you know make make him a a beautiful character and something representative of the highest within us. So um, that's that's what I would say about. Good old, good old Raymond Burr. Well, for the Mason. for the UK audience, and maybe for some of us who don't know that character, Perry Mason, as much. <clears throat> well, we see a, he was a lawyer, like a heroic lawyer. Yep, he was yeah. a heroic. Yeah, you go ahead. You can take over. Okay. Uh, well, you probably know more than I do, but I I have seen them all. Uh, he he was a lawyer. Uh, he was a defense lawyer, and he won. Er I think he won every case but one against the uh, unfortunate Ham Hamilton Burger. Hamburger was his opponent. And he won all of his cases. And, and you got the, you know, when you're watching the shows, they're somewhat formulaic, but you're watching the shows, uh, you know he's always in command. He's in control. He knows what he's doing all the time. And you know what's going to happen. It's, it's, you know, there's a certain inevitability that he's going to figure out, get to the bottom of things all the time. And you can see that in his expressions, some of his expressions. I, I particularly the one in the top, let's see, top left. Uh, and uh, he's a, there's a little bit of humor. He doesn't show a lot, but there's a little bit in the mid, uh, mid one, isn't there? But anyway, he's always uh, on top of things. And, and uh, as I said, this is the same concept with Robert Stapp of, of un, an unflappability. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get, get crazy. He doesn't uh, mo uh, bemoan things when things uh, when there are problems. He just solves them, and he ends up 
you know, in the end, he always gets the uh, the uh, guilty person to to confess in the courtroom. He's able to do that just about every episode. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, Nikos, do you have any uh, uh, was yes, that was remember someone you're familiar with? Yeah, first, this is one of my top five episodes ever. I'm really enjoying this. Second, I don't know Raymond Bird, but I'll tell you this. There are two TV heroes these days that could remind me of someone like this. The one is Harvey Specter from Suits. The other is Don Draper from Mad Men. But here's the thing. Mm. Both of them, mm. because of the times that we're living, they have to be portrayed as, oh, they have some vulnerabilities or internal demons that don't make them uh, perfect, so to speak. So Harvey Specter at some go, point has to go to therapy. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But I think the reason they portray him this way is to tell us, look, even he has this kind of crack, even he has this, uh, he has like panic attacks. And Don Draper, the same, although he looks this kind of impeccable in control, he's constantly haunted by inner demons. So the difference, I think, with characters that you could imagine them as Randian heroes today, with back then is that back then you had the idea that we portray what it could be and what it should be. Whereas today, part of the portrayal has also to be the weakness, the vulnerability or the crack. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having panic attacks. We probably all had them. The problem is when the culture considers it necessary that it has to be included in the, that it has to be included in the plot and as part of the character. Although I, I would like to, I would like to say the I think the, the they're not second tier heroes in Mad Men. I think Peggy Olson, the Elizabeth Moss character, sort of fits the Rand model of of a hero far more than even Draper. And I would and I would say um, uh, the character of Joan as well are yeah. two two amazingly powerful people, especially Peggy's character. Yeah. Um, the the way her arc from from meek person sort of subordinate to religion uh to a fully actuated ad actualized ad executive powerful in her own body and in her own mind totally confident um she doesn't have any of the conflicts that draper does yeah draper is by no means a random hero but he could be so he had wanna, the potential just... if it weren't for these demons this is the type of convo you're going to find on TV Talk. We've just given you a little promo for TV Talk, which is also on the Ayn Rand Center UK, which is also why you should be supporting what you're doing. You're getting insights from, from Mark and so many others on TV Talk. Craig, thank you, Christopher, for your contribution. Did Rand say this? Christopher's saying the eyes are the window to the soul. Was that Rand's line? I know I feel like I've heard that before. I don't think this is Rand's. I remember. But... All right. Yeah, I've I think... certainly heard that line. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's Thanks from some other source. And Robin and Maria and Robert, so many members of the Iran Center UK here on YouTube joining us today. So take this opportunity to join us and, and keep this type of programming going. Um, Rand said, now, since this is an objective definition of beauty, of course, there can be universal standards of beauty. It's pretty shocking to say now, provided you define the terms of what objects you are going to classify as beautiful and what you take is the ideal harmonious relationship of the elements of that particular object. To say it's in the eye of the beholder, that of course would be pure subjectivism if taken literally. It isn't a matter of what you, for some unknown reason, decide to regard as beautiful. It is true, of course, that if there were no valuers, then nothing could be valued as beautiful or ugly because values are created by observing consciousness, but they are created by a standard based on reality so here the issue is values, including beauty, have to be judged as objective, not subjective or intrinsic. Does, um, does anyone want to chew on that? Yeah. I have plenty yeah, more I'd photos, like to, but does I'd anyone like want to chew on that? wanted to uh, throw in something about that. Now, I'm trying to remember where she said this. But, but anyway, the point is that uh, the point I want to make is that, yes, beauty is objective. But it, that, the, the objectivity of beauty does not mean that there is only one standard and that there could be more than one standard. So I, I remember that Ayn Rand talked about uh, Japan and the standards of beauty in Japan, maybe even physical beauty. I, I'm just not sure. 
and said, you know, on, on that standard, there's a different kind of beauty and it's still objective. So it's not like we have to hold that there's only one possible uh, uh, archetype of beauty in the world. There can be many, it could be any number of them and, and still be objective. And in fact, there are. Uh, Nikos, Robert is, thank you for your contribution, Robert. Robert, making a point that you just made, he says, Perry Mason has no inner demons. He's not guilty, he's not damaged, unlike the recent reboot, which was well-made and interesting, but substantially yes, darker. Right. It's, it's kind of yes. what your point was, Nikos. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah, the um, reboot was interesting in its own way, but it wasn't really Perry Mason. It was a different- Is this era. about the reboot of The Untouchables? Uh, yes, uh, for, no, oh, okay. Perry Mason. Oh, Perry Mason. Oh, Perry Mason. Um, yeah. Roland, yeah. also, thank you for your contribution. He says, the eye is the soul's mirror is a saying that they have in Hungary. So interesting. That might be kind of just uh, an old wisdom. Well, let's get on. Let's go on Wait, to- I wanted to I wanted to push back oh, oh, on, please. This, I'm on, sorry, this, Mark. Yeah, yeah. on this idea that Nikos brought up, which I think is true, but uh, it, it, it raises in my mind some, some questions. So we see nowadays the, the introduction of the flawed hero. Um, is there anything positive in, in choosing to show the inner demons of a character and, and the person struggling with those and, and those inner demons, in, in fact, per, per, you know, being a part of the narrative arc of the character overcoming those inner demons? Is there something positive for us, the viewing audience, to take from that? As opposed to seeing somebody who's got a pristine consciousness, they're never in conflict, they're always heroic, uh, is there something to the new movement, not, not to lower our expectations, but the idea that seeing somebody flawed overcoming their inner demons makes her heroism more accessible to us? Is there something to that that's positive? There is something to that. So again, mm -hmm. we all deal with uh, stress. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by it. So seeing that, uh, uh, let's say, a hero like Harvey also deals with it is nice. At the same time, I'm not convinced that this happened so that heroism would become more accessible. Because notice, for example, that when this thing happened in the TV series Suits, the TV series became unwatchable because it came with a whole agenda that now they were going against uh, big, uh, corpo big evil corporations and uh, they were standing for the small guy and all that stuff. So within a particular context, it is definitely something which can make you realize that the fact that you face this limitation doesn't mean that the heroic is out of reach. But at the same time, let's not miss that this is part of a whole context of a culture that says that her heroism is actually, uh, you aim too high. You're like Icarus who's going to burn if you aim too high. So I don't disagree with you. I'm just, I'm still going to criticize the script uh, writers, because I don't think they had in mind what you had in mind. Well, and, and Mark, I don't know all of the characters that we're going to feature today, but Miss Rand mentions one in particular, which we're going to get into in just a second, uh, in terms of why it seems like they don't, she doesn't, she doesn't at least appreciate, you know, that, that, you know, well, we'll get to it. I won't, I won't pretend to for her, but by this, the way, sorry, sorry, I have to stop please. you here. Razi keeps sending me private messages about how the real hero of Suits is Louis Leet. So I have to mention this publicly because uh, when Razi first told him that, I was like, wow, that's why I like this guy, Razi, not Louis, because only he could have seen this and make this outrageous statement. Um, outrageous, is, yet perhaps true. Here is Eric Braden who I'm told, and, and uh, Lee, I think you, you know a lot about this history, Mark, you probably do too. This I'm told was really one of, and I've read, this was really one of Rand's favorite actors. And that he, she knew him, I think, I guess, first from Rat Patrol. He was, his real name is Hans Gudegast, and I've forgotten the umlauts. There's a couple of umlauts in there, not exactly where they go, but Hans Gumlas, Hans Gudegas was his born name. This is a story from uh, his given name. Here's a story from Jeff Britting's excellent little book. Rand discovered, oh, I guess in 81, television actor Hans Gudegas. Eric Braden has become known on American television. She thought he was the embodiment of Francisco Diaconia. She never contacted Gudegas. 
she proceeded with the idea of creating the proper role for him in effect to save him from parts she thought beneath his ability. So cool, right? She was gonna write him a part. Though she gradually changed her mind about his suitability, Gudegas was the spiritual catalyst to the project to revive her own spirit. She began writing a teleplay of Atlas Shrugged, her first fiction in 20 years. So that was the, the power of Hans Gudegast. And again, from, from Jeff's book, here's some names that she was considering for other actors, I believe, in Atlas. And Roy Schneider's on that list. I see, I think, second from the top. Is that Tom Sennett? That's, that, Tom, not... that's Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt, who was oh. the... Uh, Tom Skerritt is Francisco? Band. That's what she says there, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's Good possible. He was the... He was the um, uh, commander in the original Top Gun movie of the Top Gun school, and he was pretty and, good. And a, and he, was also, he was, he was you'll, also, be, you'll be sticking a dog fit from China. <laughs> no, that's right. no, that's the, that's the other, that's another guy. No, that's the, right. I'm talking about it, uh, the actual school. He was the commander of the school. Senate. He was also the captain of the spaceship Nostromo. in Alien. Yeah, but but he got the alien dispatched him pretty early in that movie. He was gone. Spoiler alert! Sorry, is this spoiler alert? Sorry, sorry. Is this Roy Scheider from Jaws? Yes, Roy Scheider from Jaws. Yeah, as Reardon, and And that's that's very weird. As Reardon, Reardon, because he's one of my favorite, uh, obviously, actors, but I never pictured him as Reardon. Well, he's Uh, uh, he's. uh, he doesn't show a lot of emotion, Roy Scheider. So he kind of fits Reardon in that respect. I don't know otherwise, but anyway. Uh, by, by the way, I don't think this list hey. is, 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 hey. cont- is intended to be her final choices or anything. Yes, this this was like um, yeah. notes. This is not a published yeah. thing. Just notes. And hey. again, from Jeff Britting's excellent book. Yeah. Hey, Roy um, Scheider is a Meisner-trained actor. He studied with Sandy Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse. A, a very, very fine American actor and I think he I, did. He do the Marathon Man as well. Was he? Yes, was he, he was a Marathon Dustin, Man. Dustin Hoffman's brother, sort of a yes. CIA uh, operative. Yes. Yeah. You you want to see you know some physical prowess and yeah. some interesting uh, stuff? Look at him in that too. Yeah. Do we know? Do we know the, who would be Gold? Uh, well, the Gold's not listed. I don't think there's anybody on this list. Okay. And I, I think say- I, I think the idea was that she was going to find somebody. Not uh, not famous. Okay, is that. this I think the that was princess the from Star Wars? That's correct. Talking princess Leia, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> who would and she would <laughs> it, play who? It, I it agree. doesn't say. It doesn't say who she's going to be. But and I it's mean, an interesting she's, question. She's amazing in she... that role. The original Star Wars. She's captivating. And there's yeah. Farrah Fawcett, who yeah, Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, we're going to get we're going to get to in just a moment. But Hans Gudegast again. Read all about it in Jeff's book. Um, now, Lee, you knew this story as well. You, I'm sure the whole panel knows it. I guess she yeah. would write on videotapes how much Hans there was in an episode of maybe Young and the Restless and, 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 and rate it. Well, not the Young and the Restless. That's older. And I don't even think she would, would watch Young and the Restless because Hans Gudegast had a thick mustache at that time. <laughs> and she would, she would have been disappointed in that, I think. Uh, but anyway, this is earlier, um, the Rat Patrol, and fairly recently, uh, because of the influence of Shoshana, I, I, I watched all of them. I can't remember them all, but they're, they're, they're somewhat formulaic in that the, the Rat Patrol are these American and one British uh, soldiers that have a Jeep, have a couple of Jeeps and some weapons, and they go around tormenting the Germans, blowing up their stuff. And they, most episodes, they get captured. And by clever means, they escape. And Hans is their main opposition. But Hans is intelligent. I must say he's not super intelligent. He sometimes does things that I thought were stupid. But generally, he's intelligent. And he's not evil. There are, there, there are uh, Germans in it that are SS men. That are, that are, they're, really, they're really bad guys. Hans is sort of a reasonable guy. But he, he signed up for the wrong team is what he did. And, and he, but he shows, a, he, he shows an intelligence and a certain honorable nature throughout the thing. And he's not in all the episodes. Some episodes he's in and some he's not in. And she graded the ones. And the ones that he's in get grades like A+. Plus, and the ones that he's not in get grades like F-. minus. So she like, she's very, very, 
let's put it this way. There's, uh, there's a personal relationship that she's forged without his consent, but she's got a more personal relationship with Hans than she does with any other uh, possible, you know, any, any other actor or figure of that sort uh, that I know of. I think that's true. You know, she was very, very personally, uh, she felt more emotion for him than for anybody else. As far and as this I, was after, do you think there's something, maybe I remember reading this, but basically this was after Frank died. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was after Frank died. Maybe, maybe all of it. I don't know. Mine was after Frank died. So you could say, well, I was, that, this would be speculation. So maybe I should not speculate. Yeah, we'll, it was, we'll, she, we'll check in he, with he, he mattered a lot to her personally. Um, and, and he was uh, quite, he, he did project that same unflappable intelligence, not quite the well, same level. He also was in a movie called uh, Colossus, uh, where he was a scientist, uh, you know, a genius scientist who invented a, a, a supercomputer. Well, he's still so he, alive. I mean, Nico, I don't know if you've seen any of these. Here's Hans now. He's still alive. He's still working. Um, do you think Rand would still find him attractive? So His mustaches stand out a lot. So, yes. <laughs> My grand, one of my grandmothers was a huge fan of Young and the Restless, so that's how I knew him. Then I also saw him in uh, in Titanic. So, but for me, Francisco, uh, the ideal Francisco would obviously be Alain Delon, and uh, I like the guy who plays in the otherwise disappointing Atlas Shrugged uh, film series in the second one, uh, something something more. Oh I yeah, Isai Morales, very was very good. He's very good. He's a bit. Good. He's a bit older than what I picture Francisco. But now, whenever I read Atlas Shrugged, he's the image that comes to my yeah, mind. Let me let me okay. just see, get this straight, Nikos. There were there were there was one guy. The the third guy, I think, it was the third movie, was quite a bit too old. Okay. Yeah. No. That's that's that's. You're not talking about him. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. Movie, yeah, that was absolutely I, I thought it was great. I thought he was. It was by uh, far and away the best. I thought. Yeah, he was. He was people. very, very good, and yep. that was before yep. he gained uh, prominence or however with uh, Ozark. I think I saw him in a couple of episodes. So that's now. That's now what I pictured when I think of Francisco. Yeah. Mark, you want to jump in on a, the current day Hans Gudegaster? Have you have you ever met him or worked with him? No, I have a friend who's on Young and the Restless right now. Uh, Wait, but, Young uh, and the Restless is still going on? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the old and the they call it they call it they call it Y and R now. Oh, yeah. So my my friend plays Stitch. Uh, <laughs> Stitch. It's awesome. He's a, doc he's a doctor. <laughs> in um, in real life, he's a he's he's a boxer and and really really interesting tough guy. But, well, um, let's get to let's part. get on to uh, <laughs> what we all came for. No, let's get on to um, you know this image. I mean, Nikos, do you all in Europe and and do you know this image? This is immediately no. Yeah, so I I don't think she would make a great Dagny. And here's why: Dagny's not obviously <clears throat> impressive. That's why most people don't even notice her beauty. So I think she's, she's way too impressive to be Dagny. I think Dagny needs to be a bit more, her beauty is a bit more nuanced. Going back to the Atlas uh, Horrible Films trilogy, the woman who plays Dagny in the first one, I think she's quite good. So uh, that's Taylor's, how I would... Uh, Taylor, not Taylor, what's her name? Taylor. Taylor. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think she's the one who plays in uh, or anyway, but yeah. Dagny cannot be a sex bomb. Dagny is more nuanced than. Right, well, uh, oh, this is just one music. shot. This, I'm, I was just curious if you knew this image because this was the biggest selling, you know, well, 1976. Actually, actually the, the one. one I, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, Mark, please. Well, I mean, actually, the poster that I had in my room, because I did have. <laughs> This the poster from this photo shoot is her with her head thrown back, smiling into the camera. It's slightly different than this, but it's the same same photo shoot. It, it, it was the biggest selling poster of all time. I was a huge Charlie's Angels fan when I was a kid. Jacqueline Smith and Farrah Fawcett were on one entire wall of my uh, of my uh, 
childhood room. When you were watching it as a kid, and so was Miss Rand. Isn't that kind of cool? You shared that with her. You're both around that old black and white or probably color at that point. But um, and, and, yes. and gents, gents jump in, you know, as I, again, reading and understanding Miss Rand was a big fan of Farrah Fawcett. There you see her. She's not such a sex bomb in like number yeah, two and number second three. Second one, the second picture is a bit more Dagny like. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. She 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 doesn't project intelligence to me though, and and maybe yes. I know a little bit too much about her personal life. Um, that I just don't see that in her. To me, someone like an Anya Taylor Joy would be an amazing Dagny. I don't know if you guys. Uh, like I know her. who she is. I, I'm I think, googling think her she's now. Great. From from the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Uh, oh. Complex, complex character, but in command, and she projects power and intelligence, and uh, and her beauty is very unconventional. She's she's a very beautiful woman, but it's it's an unconventional, almost ethereal uh, um, type of, of beauty. Not not like this that you know, I don't know. It's sort of I, I don't want to say I don't want to say typical, but there's something about it that's sort of conformist in a way. It's sort of oh. I don't know. Uh, 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 let's, uh, well, here's Mark. Let's go back to circle back to before you do, Mark, Jonathan. Mark, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, please. The, before you do, Jonathan, this is Lee. Uh, you have Charlie's angles, and I think it'd be better to be Charlie's curves instead of Charlie's. Angles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> good call. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, um, well, you, Mark was asking a little bit more, earlier. We were talking about this idea of like, you know, the characters flawed, and you know, should they how much and. And, and I haven't really thought about it myself, but I thought, and you guys know this quote, but some of our audience probably might not. Miss Rand was asked why she liked Charlie's Angels so much. And again, quoting, Charlie's Angels is the only romantic television show today. It's not realistic. It's not about the gutter. It's not about the half-wit retarded children and all the other kind of shows today. It's about three attractive girls doing impossible things. And because they're impossible, that's what makes it interesting. It shows three young girls who are better than so-called real life. Kind of an interesting, I wouldn't say exactly PC today, but um, what's, what do you, how do you take away, Mark? You're in these shows, you portray these characters. What do you think of that POV? Uh, I mean, I sort of get it. I think I think that's what attracts people to uh, Supernatural. Um, it's it's not in the gutter. It's not realistic, but it's about two beautiful dudes who um, even go against the will of God to do the right thing. And I think people people need to see that. Right? They need to see that it's it's possible to to go against what seems to be um, crazy odds against you, and you can still win. Um, if you've got the grit, intelligence, and determination, it's not—it's not beyond your reach. That's—that's that's real fuel, and I think that's why it attracts uh, that show, Supernatural, and Charlie's Angels at the time attracted so many people. Um, you know, uh, it, it's aspirational. Uh, Nikos, what do you, what do you, what's your take on Rand's? So I didn't here? watch. A, I knew, Charlie Angels only played for a while in Greece. So my controversial point would be, if Ayn Rand was still around after 1982, she would have really liked the action TV series that today we consider like caricature 80s, particularly Knight Rider or maybe even Airwolf. Why? Because it's technology and man cooperating and it's, it's a guy in pursuit of uh, values and in pursuit of justice. You might see that he's doing it for altruistic reasons, whatever. No, he's, uh, he's moved by justice. So three cheers for Michael Knight and for Knight Rider. You millennials who might not know it, Google it and go watch the intro. It's the best intro in the history of TV. No question. Together with Airwolf and together with Street Hawk. These were my three favorite 80s TV series. Very heroic, cool music, cool technology. Brilliant. Uh, um, well, and thank you, Planet Pellegrino, who says Mark's too young to be on this list, but he's my favorite actor. So thank you for that support, <laughs> continued support, always tweeting us out and stuff like that. So that's awesome. So um, really in interesting perspective there from Rand. What Farrah um, Fawcett told a story that Miss Rand actually contacted Farrah Fawcett. I'm quoting now from 
the article was in the Daily Beast. I'm, this is Farrah Fawcett talking now. I contacted me with a personal letter and a copy of Atlas Shrugged. She seemed to think that we must have a lot in common since we were both born on the same day, February 2nd. She never missed an episode of the show. I remember being surprised and flattered by that. I mean, here was this literary genius praising angels. After all, the show was never popular with critics who dismissed it as jiggle TV. But Ayn saw something that the critics didn't, something that I didn't see either until not at least many years later. She described the show as a triumph of concept and casting. Ayn said that while Angels was uniquely American, it was also the exception to American television in that it was the only show to capture true romanticism as intentionally depicted the world, not as it was, but as it should be. So she she was such a fan. I just think that's so cool. She was a fan of Hans Gutergast. She was a fan of Farrah Fawcett. She wrote her like a fan letter. Um, I, just, I think that's just that's so cool. endearing as Rand as, as, a, as a human being, as a person. You are, and, uh, and as being a valuer, even in places where most people wouldn't expect her to be. That's cool. Um, uh, you guys want to, we're going to move on to some other examples. If anyone wants to jump in, Elsa, you know, we're, let's move on because we're already 37 minutes in. All right. Well, I'm just enjoying uh, uh, these beautiful ladies. Thank you, Roland, who says Knight Rider played a key role in shaping his sense of life. Roland, Who's that? Uh, that is Roland. Roland, we are, we are together in that. Um, I was a more of a Garth fan than a, a Michael fan, if you know that reference. Anyone? The evil brother who looked like yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Was also, okay, already. <laughs> Phil says, how about a young Eastwood as Rourke? Interesting. All right. Here's uh, Raquel Welch. Maybe Eastwood would as also Rourke? make a good, a good Reardon. Yeah, I would say Reardon. I wouldn't say Rourke. I would say Reardon. That's also, the, usual. the guy, uh, uh, Daniel Craig, would make a good uh, Reardon. Yes. With these icy eyes. Yes, he would be awesome. Um, here's Raquel Welch, who Shoshana mentioned, and other, I believe it's noted or written that Miss Rand was also a fan of. I mean, there's thousands of pictures of Raquel Welch, certainly a stunning woman. And this was in the 70s, I think probably the era that Miss Rand would have been observing her probably most closely. Very pretty woman, obviously. Um, here is Anne Bancroft. Before you, before you leave oh, Raquel yeah, Welch. Yeah, yeah, go, go back. Any comments Jonathan? on this Welsh? She yeah. was a, a smart young lady, or whatever, however you refer to her. And uh, you can see in some of the movies, the one that comes to mind was not a great movie, but there was a movie called Hanny Calder. And she was um, uh, a woman, the, the bad guys came to her ranch killed her husband, did bad things to her, burnt, you know, and she was angry. And then the gunfighter comes, I can't, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. She, she learns how to shoot and dispatches the bad guys in a, a efficient, intelligent manner. So she could handle a role where that is, re, where intelligence and efficiency and such was required. So she, she could do that. I think she's too obviously hot to be Dagny. <laughs> That's the that's Nikos's theme. You can't you can't be hot. No, you well, can't be hot, but not too in your you, face. You can, give her, you can give her glasses, change her hairstyle. You know, there's stuff you could do uh, to make. I don't her think a little... any, I don't I don't think any of that would would uh, no, take, it matter with take her. the edge off. It yeah, might even right. make it right. might even make it more intense. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, Still, she would I would have liked her in that uh, in a role in Atlas. Here is Anne Bancroft. Again, so many photos of Anne Bancroft. Wow, look at those amazing shots. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a beauty and just sensuous. I don't know. I, I'm kind of running out of superlatives, but um, beautiful, beautiful woman. And I just read <clears throat> I mean, mentioned I mean, her that as being a favorite. That top picture is, is from The Graduate, you know, Mrs. Robinson, yeah. who is... Who is a total degenerate in a lot of ways, but yeah. she looks she looks so amazingly elegant there. I could definitely see her as uh, as a um, as a Rand hero. Yep. Here is now. I don't know how to pronounce this name. Genevieve. Jean Vieve. I don't speak French, but somebody must. Jean Vieve Bougeon. <clears throat> Again, uh, was noted as a favorite of Miss Rand's. 
again, of the era. I mean, these aren't big stars today, but um, interesting, powerful, young, symmetrical, beautiful. Um, she seems a little more, I don't know, those photos. Um, now, in our remaining few moments, we've talked a lot about this, and I, I want to acknowledge another con contributor said, Humphrey Bogart plus either Lauren Bacall or Ingrid Bergman, all are sex on legs bar none in this contributor's opinion, whose name I cut off, but thank you for that. But um, so they've given their Lauren opinions. Bacall. Lauren Bacall, I, I, I go. Ingrid Bergman, I say no to. Why? She's too Soft. prim and, you know, priggish, prim. Uh, soft, sentimental, I get like this yielding. Soft, sentimental, religious. Mm. There's a whole, you know, maybe it's because I remember this movie with her where she was a missionary in China and it was really, you know, uh, altru altruism from a moment one to the end. Mm. Maybe well, that, maybe that's, your... uh, but, but Lauren Bacall, that's a great choice. Well, here's our audience's opportunity in just a few minutes we have left to, to support us through the Super Chat. Send us the name of your favorites and we will subjectify them, subjective, we will objectify them physically, um, rate them right here on the show live for you. No, we'll, 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 we'll give our per perspectives, but you have to Super Chat us. We will give our perspectives. In the meantime, maybe we'll go around the, the horn as they say. I'll, throw, I'll go first. I've not been a shy about this. I, to me, Anne Hathaway is just from when she was young to when she is now, I just think she is beautiful. She's seems to play smart role. I just, I don't know, I find her captivating. She's my number one. Um, let's go around the, the horn now and maybe- For, for what, for, for Dagny, uh, Jonathan? I mean, just in terms of when I would think of oh, a just beautiful be actress. Beautiful. Yeah, like mm -hmm. yeah, like a really beautiful woman who doesn't look like a degenerate. She doesn't look like a whore. I mean, I know she has a few roles that are, but her, she's just got like a, you know, what about Nikos? You seem, you're not, you're not uh, twitching. You know, have a few answers. Give us your top, your top number one. You pick one. So I totally agree that she looks very, but I get she's a bit too obviously beautiful to be Dagny. Remember, with Dagny, no one even notices. I'm not, I'm not casting. I'm not casting. Okay. I'm just saying. This is, you know, Rand, we talked a little bit about the casting, but she also just favorites that she thought was beautiful. Parabellum. Okay, then I'm, I'm totally, yeah. I'm totally with you with Anne Hathaway. Right. I'm even open so. to the idea of seeing her as a Dagny, with particularly if she becomes a bit more skinny, because Dagny sounds a bit uh, skinny. So yes, one plus one point. All right. Do you have? A, I was going to ask though. Do you have a favorite that you know when you're thinking who's a beautiful contemporary actress? Well, okay, the one, the most impressive woman of the last many decades, I would say, is uh, Monica Bellucci, but she's way, way too feminine to be, to be a Randian, uh, to be, to be Dagny. And she's not as uh, ethereal to be a Dominique. So with Dominique, I like the one who actually played in The Founding. I think she, she plays the role quite... Uh, Patricia Neal? Patricia Nee, I think she's good. She, she's not Lorraine Bacall, obviously, but she's good. Yeah, she's a better, um, better actor. Mark, what about you? I know you, you know a well, lot of actresses and stuff, so. So Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy, of course, is my, is my number one. I think she's, she's the bomb. Uh, but there's also an actress, uh, Lucy Boynton. Does anybody know Lucy? Uh, she just came out in a series called uh, Why Didn't They Ask Evans, uh, directed and written by uh, Hugh Laurie. It's a, it's a takeoff on the Agatha Christie novel. Oh, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, in, that, in that show, she's, she radiates that, that same kind of confidence. She's, she's mm -hmm. playful and sarcastic in total command. She's figuring out this complicated mystery um, with the other character and um, and she does it with with style she's just so attractive and and um, and she can she could swing with 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 anyone with any guy you could you could see her in the octagon doing doing her thing so um, I, I really like her 
Yeah. I like, I like those two are my favorite. Anne Hathaway though, I got to say is, is awesome. And let's not forget how she deadlifted the Oscars when she had the misfortune of co-hosting it with uh, James Franco. Um, she rose to the occasion and literally made that night uh, watchable. So she's, she's a giant and super talented. If you haven't seen Les Mis and you haven't seen the song that she sang, I think that got her the Academy Award, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, watch it because it's it's so poignant, so beautiful. All right, Lee, you're, you are up. Who's your... Okay, well, uh, uh, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't think of it before, but Mark's choice of Anya Taylor, is her last name? Is her last name uh, Taylor? Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah, that's right. Is a, a really great choice. Uh, that one really fits very well. If I may use the time machine a little bit and go back a ways, if we could go back to the 90s, I really think Madeline Stowe would have been great as Danny. Oh, yeah. she's uh, if you remember her, for example, from The Last of the Mohicans, did she pr project a uh, uh, you know a, an independent character? Uh, that very much so, and uh, that would have been. But she's a little past it now, I guess. I, I don't know anything about her now, but she clearly could. It's too late for for that. Let's we you know time machine. Speaking of last of the Mohicans, don't you think a young Daniel Day Lewis made it would have oh, made yeah. an interesting Reardon? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, because he was great in that as well. How about uh, Matthew McConaughey for Ellis Wyatt? Texan oh, accent. Be, he would be amazing. I think he would be amazing. I mean, who do you think golfed? I mean, a young Brad Pitt would have been interesting. He doesn't project intelligence. What about a Joaquin Phoenix? Had he lived? What do you mean, had he lived? You mean not Joaquin, not Joaquin, I'm sorry, River Phoenix. River Phoenix, if you, if you saw my, uh, private, my own private Idaho, was, was brilliant. James Dean brilliant in, in that movie. Um, and, and so he has, I don't know, he, had, he has that, uh, that depth and a, a sort of poetic quality to him that I think would be an interesting, uh, would have been an interesting galt had he... Yeah, yeah. I'm Googling him right now, and uh, yeah. My, my all-time uh, golf wouldn't, wouldn't work anymore is Denzel Washington. If you watch him oh, in, yeah. in Malcolm X and turn the thing around 380 degrees, boy, was he good in Malcolm X projecting what he did. And if he can project, you know, if an actor can project any kind of values, that, you know, a good actor, I guess, can project all kinds of values. Isn't that right, Mark? Isn't that true? Absolutely, and he's he's, so he's he one would of be America's fantastic. most most gifted actors. He he would have yeah. been great, and and he's able to pull off uh, stuff with extreme physical prowess too. If you haven't seen the Book of Eli or the Equalizer, yeah. you should check that out because he does project deeps in Book of Eli, especially yes. great strength and great virtue. Yeah. I mean, he's unstoppable, literally unstoppable in that in that movie. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's so much, you know, part of what we're trying to emphasize here with the daily objective is that there's so much to learn with objectivism and Miss Rand. I mean, there's, a, there's not just, oh, well, she's selfish in capitalism and the novels, et cetera. I mean, there's so much, and, and in particular, some of her personal interests and influences and stuff like that. So thank you for supporting us because we're able to bring this to you or we're able to kind of bring some great insights from people like Lee and Mark and Nikos and James Valiant and so many others here on the channel. So keep supporting us, keep helping us do what we do by becoming a subscriber right here, right now. Click that button, share the podcast, hit us up with the super chat and make us a part of your daily routine with the daily objective. We'll go around the horn with any final thoughts before we close out the hour. Lee, you're our extra special guest today. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. I don't have any final thoughts. All right, good. I'll, I'll keep, I'm going to keep thinking. Until Best premises until we get, meet again. Mark, yeah. thank you. For um, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Lee, sorry. No, oh, no. No, go ahead. Mark. No, I, th I, think, I think today's day and age, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that beauty is a very important value for us, uh, that we should cherish it. We should want it in our lives. We shouldn't want to cut it out. Um, and even when we see standards of beauty that we think are beyond us, because we have what we have, we're born with what we're born with, we're, we're born with, let it still make us aspirational and not 
not discourage us. Let it, let it make us always growing and, and working to become uh, better than we are right now. So let's not forget that. Take us. Top 10 uh, episode of Daily Objective, if not top five. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's been a privilege, pleasure, everything. And I'll just add with one quick story. And if anyone wants to correct me, I remember Dr. Peacock telling a story about a man who came to Rand saying that he found piano legs on a woman unattractive. Jump in if anyone remembers this. Short little stubby legs. As I remember the story, a year later, he came back with his wife or girlfriend at the time and said, isn't she beautiful? And she had those piano stubby legs. So in my experience, you know, you don't have a relationship with beauty. You have a relationship with a, a full-fledged person, but it's fun at the same time to admire these stars, admire these beautiful people. And Mark, as you said, um, you know, see them for the real value that they are in, in your life, just as Rand yep. did. I just want to I just want to jump on that because that's important. Um, yeah, with human beings, beauty goes a lot further than just the endowments that you were given by nature. Let's not forget that one of the most beautiful characters in literature is Quasimodo, and he was far from physically beautiful, but he had great stature, courage, um, uh, and uh, and and the capacity to love, and he he did it with all of himself, and that made him a very very beautiful. Beautiful person. Well, let's. Yeah. Um, so let me throw in one thing uh, on this on this topic. Beauty is neither subjective nor intrinsic. It's like all other values, objective. Thank you, thank you for, for that, Lee. And I want to remind everyone at 7 p.m. UK time tonight, you've got Life on Earth with Robert and Amy. They're talking about guilty pleasures tonight. So support what we're doing here. We are bringing you a channel all devoted to learning about exploring objectivism. That's pretty unique, something that really has never been done and we're spearheading it with your support. Every pound helps, every shekel counts. So thanks for making us part of your uh, monthly uh, list of contributions. So we'll see you tomorrow. Mark, Nikos, Lee for more of the Daily Objective is all from all of us. We're wishing you best premises. Be well. Thank you.